welcome to That's Your Field, and uh, today we're doing episode two of our podcast within a podcast, How Did It Go So Wrong, where we discuss some of the biggest disasters in sports, politics, and life in general. So without further ado, let's get started. Jared, uh, I, you, you mentioned to me the name of the person we're talking about earlier, but not only have I never heard of that person, I've already forgot the name. So what do we got? Sure. So there's a baseball player or former baseball player named Bobby Bonilla. And I actually first heard of him when I was in college because I was taking a sport finance class and we took a look at the brilliance of his agent in negotiating the buyout of his contract. You know, Bobby Bonilla was a good baseball player, actually. He was a multi-time all-star. Uh, and at one point, he was the highest paid player in baseball. He was making about $6 million a year, which tells you how far we've come because now we got guys making $35 million a year. But regardless. <laughs> what what year was this? This was when he signed the contract. It was like mid-90s, early mid-90s. Okay. He played for several teams. Um, and in his second stint with the Mets, I believe, uh, in 1999, he, he was really falling off. He wasn't living up to the $6 million price tag, uh, which, again, was among the highest in baseball at the time. Mm-hmm. So the Mets were a little cash-strapped and said they wanted to release Bobby Bonilla. And the agent negotiated a series of deferred payments. So that instead of having to pay Bonilla's roughly six million, I think it was five point nine million dollars up front, mm-hmm. they would pay a series of payments from twenty eleven through twenty thirty five every year on July first. So we just had Bobby Bonilla Day uh, earlier this month, earlier this week, I guess. Okay, <laughs> and. These installments are $1.19 million per year. Bobby Bonilla is currently 52 years old. He has not played baseball (laughs) in years, I think since like the Mm -hmm. early 2000s. Um, But essentially, the reason the Mets agreed to this deal, uh, which adds to how did it go so wrong, is Mm -hmm. ownership at the time... So again, they needed the money and they said, well, in 2011, we figure we're going to have a lot more money because Bernie Madoff was their investor oh, no. guy. And, and they said, well, this guy knows what he's doing. We're going to get all our money back uh, and then some and then we'll be able to comfortably make these small, you know, one point one nine million dollar payments. And so just for reference, because Major League Baseball's payout structure is so weird, the first like Mm -hmm. three years or so that you're three or four years that you're in the majors, you're making like the league minimum, right? Yeah. So you have guys like Pete Alonso, who hit 53 home runs last year as a rookie for the Mets, oddly enough. You have Juan Soto. Who had a monster season with the Nationals? They combined are making about the same amount as Bobby Bonilla, <laughs> and that's that's without the shortened season, mind you. Oh my God! Okay, so but but let let's back up for a second. 
So you're telling me that the Mets just figured like, oh, we're going to be so rich, it doesn't matter that we're paying this guy a million dollars every year, he doesn't play baseball. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, in what universe does that make sense? Like, what, what, okay. I guess the real question I'm asking is why did they have to pay him anything? So, in baseball, the contracts are fully guaranteed for the most part. So, when you release a player, you're still required to pay him his money. That That's why releases in baseball are rare because mm-hmm. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you can negotiate something like that or negotiate um you know something where you know the the team that signs him pays him x amount of money and so you get out from a little bit but it's very rare for those reasons i guess what it sounds like to me then is the real hero of this situation was bonilla's agent when he negotiated a what like 10 year contract in the first place like how long was his contract in the first place that they are going to have to continue paying him until 2035 well so i believe he was in the last year of his contract whatever it was they just couldn't afford to pay somebody who was giving them that little production because again Six million dollars at the time was a lot of money for baseball players. Mm-hmm. And so to a degree, they they kind of got it right because again, like these days baseball teams have hundred to hundred fifty million dollar per year payroll budgets for their players, right? Mm-hmm. Paying a guy a million dollars is nothing. Granted, <laughs> you're paying somebody who hasn't played for the organization in twenty years. Like, I guess, I guess it it makes sense to me that the way that these rules are set up and the way that, like, everything gets together, you've engineered a situation where it was actually an okay deal for everybody involved to sign on to pay someone a million dollars a year for, sorry, so he retired in 2011? No, no, he retired in the early 2000s, but the payment started in 2011. And they run through okay. 2035, I think. I see. So he basically said, hey, you don't have to pay me at all for like five or six years and then pay me a million dollars a year from 2011 to 2035. Well, it was you don't have to pay me at all for about a decade because they cut him in 99, mm-hmm. I think it was. And then he, he, gotcha. he went and played a couple more seasons with other teams. Yeah, he rejoined the Mets in 98. Had a subpar 99 seasons, so the Mets released him, but still owed him $5.9 million. Then he ended up signing with the Braves the next year and then played another year with the Cardinals. So he retired after the 01 season. Okay. But the, so the, but the total amount that the Mets are going to end up paying him is about $30 million or between 2011 and 2035 by taking these so, deferred payments. This is truly incredible to me. Like, like I guess we we can say the years, but like it, it feels funnier to me to say something along the lines of like this guy stopped playing baseball before nine eleven, but is getting paid thirty million dollars between when I graduated from high school and when I turn forty five. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. He's not 52. He's 57. <laughs> the the two in my mind, he's going to be 72 years old on his last payment. That's 
amazing. That it's literally the best retirement package of all time. Yes, it definitely seems that way. I mean, who who was his agent? Do you know that that guy? I name? don't know it offhand, but he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, like because like, that's probably not the easiest thing to do to convince your client. Like, look. Mm. You have to defer this six million dollars so I can get you thirty million by the time you're seventy two, right? Like th- right. that's a hard sell, and and the mm-hmm. payments don't even start for another, you know, what was it, twelve years? So right. I mean, did he have a reasonable expectation that he was going to be playing baseball for a significant time of that twelve years? No, uh, he he knew he was towards the end of his career at this point. You know, okay. especially after you come off that bad of a season. Um, but right. he was getting older at that point, you know, like his his best playing days were 90 to 96 or so, 98, right? So, you know, he was starting to tail off in the late 90s. And then by the early 2000s, you know, he was he was just trying to hold on. So, you know, it's just kind of a crazy... <laughs> situation that literally every july 1st people are like happy bobby bonilla day because this is one of the <laughs> most ridiculous contracts of all time i i mean it, it that is truly incredible and like i don't know just i wish someone would pay me a million dollars every year to not play baseball <laughs> yeah seriously i do that for free i don't know did you ever see the movie moneyball with like brad pitt and jonah hill I have seen a significant portion of it because I watched it on an airplane and then we landed before the end. Okay. But I but I I've seen most so of it. So I don't know if you remember this part and it, you know it's all based on real stuff. So, you know, the mm. the Oakland Athletics traded for this guy David Justice who, you know, it was kind of a similar situation like the Yankees had signed him when he was a big time player. You know, he started falling off and they didn't want to pay him his full salary anymore. So when they traded him to Oakland, they agreed to pay half his salary to not play for them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like one of those situations like we're cutting you and we will pay you $30 million in the future to not play for us anymore. Right. And like the, the weird part is not that they're doing that. The weird part is that it makes sense for them to do that. In a weird way. Especially because, like, look, they didn't know, obviously, that Bernie Madoff was going to be such a crook. Mm. Right? So, in their mind, they had, like, this great investment strategy. They were getting great returns on their investment. You know? So, at this point, it was just, all right, we have to wait for the payoff. And then, obviously, that never happened. But... You know, right. fortunately for the Mets, you know, the baseball world has gotten much more lucrative since then. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, teams can afford that kind of bill. But obviously, right. it's not something you want to account for on the payroll every year is, you know, a guy in his late 50s who hasn't picked <laughs> up a bat in 20 years. Right. Like, like you know, a million dollars, like you said, is not that much of their budget, but Ideally, they would spend zero dollars in their budget paying a 65-year-old man not to play baseball for them. Right. I just think the funniest part is that their young superstar who hit 53 home runs last year makes half the amount that they're paying Bobby Bonilla. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, this is what happens when you have complex payment rules and all that sort of thing. But it it, it is very funny. What else is funny is 
it hasn't stopped people from making deferred payments. Um, mm. That's the most extreme case. But another example would be Max Scherzer of the Nationals. Um, oh. He signed a big contract worth like $30 million a year. I don't have the details in front of me. But he allowed deferred payments, so they only have to pay half of that every year. But they're going to be paying him long after he's gone. So they're paying. They're going to end up paying him fifteen million dollars for multiple years that he isn't playing baseball. Something like that. I don't remember the exact details, but that that feels even weirder to me. Like I totally understand the like we don't want to pay six million dollars a year, so we're going to pay one million dollars a year for many years in the future. But like. To pay someone $15 million to not play baseball, like, that's a lot for a single year. <laughs> Let me see if I can find his contract details, because I don't want to spew nonsense. Sure, sure, sure. So it was a seven-year deal, $210 million, $30 million a year, but they're paying him over the course of 14 years. Um, okay. And yeah, it's going to be $15 million payments from 2022 to 2028. So he could still be pitching, and he could be pitching for a different team, even. And they'll be paying him $15 million a year for from 2022 to 2028. That is truly incredible. Agents, man. They know what they're doing. I suppose that they do. I wish I had an agent half that good. Right. But again, it's the hard part is convincing your client to decline money now to get it in the future, and... Yeah. You know, so there's Bonilla deserves some credit for saying, yeah, you know what? I've made enough money in my career that I don't need it right now. And yeah, I mean, some guys probably blow through all the money that they get no paid. Question. And he wouldn't have been able to take that. Yeah, there's so. there's stories about that of guys who mm-hmm. blew all their money and they retired and ended up homeless. It's tragic, yeah. but, you know, well, well, good, good for Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> so what do you have today? So I've got a uh, a slightly different story. Um, you have, I'm sure, heard the name Michael Bloomberg. Of course, he's he was on like every commercial for like a solid three months. Yeah, so we're we're gonna touch on that briefly. Uh, so Mike Bloomberg, to give a bit of background, is an extraordinarily rich dude from New York City in two thousand one. So New York City was in kind of a weird position because New York City, as you may or may not know, extraordinarily Democratic-leaning place. But for the past eight years, New York City's mayor was Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani couldn't run again based on term limits. So Mike Bloomberg said, you know what, I've been a Democrat my entire life, but I think that if I run as a Republican... I can do this. I can win. That's like Aaron Burr. I just watched Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is kind of like uh, Aaron Burr because, you know, he, he switched his party and he ran as a Republican, just barely squeaked by and uh, became the mayor of New York. And he would go on to serve as mayor of New York from 2002 all the way until 2013. He he was an extraordinarily successful campaigner, like, you know, won New York City as a Republican. Truly incredible. It, it was a weird sort of compromise. He was, uh, he, he was a gun control supporter, 
Uh, he liked environmental protections, but he was also super, super tough on crime, super, like, you know, he instituted a lot of the, um, like, stop and frisk. I don't know if you've heard of that policy. Mm -hmm. Basically, for anyone who doesn't know what stop and frisk was, like, Mike Bloomberg basically said to the New York Police Department, hey, you can stop anyone on the street for any reason and check if they have any weapons on them. Uh, and if they do, you can arrest them for that. Like, basically, he waived the requirement for, um... Probable cause. Probable cause, thank you. So, like, basically, if you were in an area of the city that had high crime, that was probable cause to be stopped and frisked. Now, a lot of the high crime areas of the city were where all the black people in New York City live. So, that's why, over the first two years of the policy being in place... Uh, more black people were stopped in New York City than live in New York City. Wow. Which, you know, some people were stopped multiple times. So it's, uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly whether every single black person in New York City was stopped by the police at some point during stop and frisk. But regardless, so he retired and um, he went on to, you know, support a number of different candidates uh, on both sides of the aisle with his ridiculous amount of money. I think Forbes calls him the ninth richest person on the planet. So, you know, he founded a bunch of organizations like um, Every Town for Gun Safety is, uh, you know, basically a gun control advocacy group that Mike Bloomberg gave like $100 million to. It was one of the best funded organizations in politics. Um... And basically, like, he had built up quite this reputation for himself as, like, kind of a middle-of-the-road, like, Democrat who's still strong on crime and, um, you know, had built up a lot of really great relationships with all sorts of different people who he had given lots and lots of money to. Now, that was a lot of background, but I thought it was important. Uh, because all of that stuff comes back to bite him in the ass later. Okay. So, in uh, at the beginning of the primary season this year, there were a lot of people who really thought that Joe Biden was going to be the nominee. And there were a lot of people who really thought that Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee. And in fact, it was unclear whether Joe Biden was going to run for president at all. So there were a lot of people a lot of them being rich Wall Street types like Mike Bloomberg, were really worried that at the end of the primary season and in the 2020 election, they were going to have to choose between Donald Trump, who most of them very, very, very dislike, and Bernie Sanders, someone who they thought was going to destroy their entire industry. So Mike Bloomberg basically said, if it looks to me like Bernie Sanders is going to win the Democratic nomination, I'm going to run against him. Even though he had been a Republican. He hadn't been, but yes. he had been. He, oh, he was, a, he was a Republican mayor of New York for one term, and then he switched to an independent. Okay. Normally, the most important parts of the primary season are the first four states. So it's Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. Is it Nevada or Nevada? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. Depends so on Mike where you're Bloomberg, from. 
Right. So Mike Bloomberg for a while realized, like, no, Joe Biden's leading the polls. He's he's ahead nationally, and maybe he's not ahead in Iowa and New Hampshire, but, like, he'll do better later on. But then Iowa and New Hampshire voted, and Iowa put Joe Biden in fourth place. Uh, New Hampshire put Biden in fifth place. I didn't know there and were that many nominees. Oh, there there were there were a bunch. You know, th- this was before, like, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren dropped out. So, like, th- there were a bunch of people running. And Mike Bloomberg all of a sudden was like, oh, no, Joe Biden's going to lose and Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. That's unacceptable to me. So Mike Bloomberg, I think it was the day after the New Hampshire primary results came out and said, hey, I'm running for president. It could it could be worse. He could be like Kanye and have done it like yesterday. Well, so here's the interesting thing, and those two are related. It's pretty late for Kanye to have announced yesterday. Uh, t- today, for the record, is uh, the 5th of July. Kanye West announced yesterday that he was running for president. That's a bad idea because the deadline to file for getting on the ballot has passed in 48 states. Um <laughs> He's not he's not eligible to get on the ballot anywhere except Louisiana and Delaware. And in a similar case, Mike Bloomberg, when he announced he was going to run for the Democratic nomination, um, was ineligible to get on the ballot for the next two states. So South Carolina and Nevada. Gotcha. So the four most important states, the four states that usually like whittle down the number of candidates based on like you know if you don't do well in the first four states you can't win the nomination because you haven't gotten any positive media coverage mike bloomberg was not actually going to even participate in any of those first four states i guess this is more of the kanye question would he at this point the only way he can get votes other than in those two states would be via write-in so you he could try and wage a write-in campaign however not all states allow you to write people in for president. Uh. And the ones that do, oftentimes you have to file paperwork with them to accept your write-in votes. And some of those deadlines may have already passed as well. Okay, well, at least we don't have to worry about Kanye. Carry on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Kanye is just promoting his new album. I'm like, I'm 100% sure of it. I know he hasn't announced the new album yet, but he put out a song uh, like last week or something, right? I don't know. I... Regardless, Mike Bloomberg was not promoting an album. Mike Bloomberg <laughs> was really serious about this. And what he did was he said, I can't compete in the first four states, but I've got more money than God. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to spend money to make sure that I win Super Tuesday. Now, Super Tuesday is the largest chunk of states voting. It's everywhere from Florida to um, North Carolina to Virginia to this year it was California, which, like, that's the largest state. Like, if you win all of the states on Super Tuesday, you've got a significant chunk of the vote. So Mike Bloomberg decided to spend, and this is not an exaggeration, this is a real statistic, $935 million on his presidential campaign. So I I feel like I need a reference for what 
an average campaign would cost because to me, I was expecting a bigger number. So let's put it this way. Joe Biden, who who went on to win, spent less than $80 million. Okay. Yeah, that's a substantial difference. (laughs) Mike Bloomberg spent more money on his Democratic primary campaign in 2020, which we'll talk about in a second how long it lasted. He spent more on that than Barack Obama spent getting reelected in 2012. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So Mike Bloomberg, he decided to flood the zone. He was going to spend money everywhere. Infinite money. And like you mentioned that you saw him in like a billion ads. Yeah. He was every single YouTube ad that I saw in the month leading up to the Virginia primary. Well, see, your problem is you're not using ad blocker on YouTube. That's true. I should, but... Uh, Don't do that, people. You know. <laughs> they, they need to make a living, too. They do need to make a living. Um, but, like, you know, he every single cable slot, every single YouTube ad slot... No, I remember seeing him everywhere. The internet. Mike Bloomberg did a thing that is truly incredible. He went from basically like a 10% name recognition across the country to like a a 70% name recognition across the country over the course of like a month and a half. Because every single person in America saw an ad for Mike Bloomberg's presidential campaign. The polls showed that it was working. A significant portion of people showed up in South Carolina when it was time to vote there and asked where Mike Bloomberg was on the ballot. Uh, that never happens. If somebody's not on the ballot, somebody almost n- they almost never get people asking about where they're, you know, how to vote for them. Right. So finally, um, Nevada voted for Bernie Sanders, and it really looked like he was going to be wrapping everything up. And then South Carolina came. And at the South Carolina primary... Joe Biden won not the most votes, but a majority of the votes. And all of a sudden, everybody started wondering, hey, wait a second, is Joe Biden's campaign actually dead? People started asking Mike Bloomberg if he wanted to, if he was going to drop out. But here's the interesting thing. He'd already spent $900 million. (laughs) He wasn't going to drop out before Super Tuesday. He couldn't. Who spends $900 million and then drops out before anyone has the opportunity to vote for them? I'm assuming Mike Bloomberg. No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> he probably should have, though. Because here's the thing. Bloomberg was polling even with Joe Biden in a bunch of states. And it suddenly started looking like, whoa, maybe Bloomberg could actually win the nomination. Because theoretically, if Joe Biden drops out, most of those voters are going to go to Bloomberg rather than to, like, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Then... The worst single night of Mike Bloomberg's life occurred on live television. There was a debate. Everybody sort of assumed that on stage people were going to be attacking Joe Biden. Instead, almost everyone turned their fire on Mike Bloomberg. (laughs) I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. (laughs) Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, Bernie Sanders 
Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, the two most polarizing figures on this stage. You have to choose between one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. Several former employees have claimed that your company was a hostile workplace for women. When you were confronted about it, you admitted making sexually suggestive remarks, saying, quote, And I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few. None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put. Some is how many? And when you say they signed them and they wanted them, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you? You're releasing them on television tonight? Senator, right? tonight? Senator, the company and somebody else, in this, they decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet for everybody's no. interest. They signed the agreements and that's what we're going to live I'm, with. This is not just a question of the mayor's character. This is also a question about electability. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed. When we talk about a corrupt political system bought by billionaires like Mr. Bloomberg. It showed a little bit about whether or not Mike Bloomberg was really a Democrat, but the basic values he had are still basically Republican. Four days later, all the Super Tuesday states voted. Mike Bloomberg spent $935 million to win American Samoa. He had utterly collapsed everywhere. He did worse than Bernie Sanders. He did worse than Elizabeth Warren. He did worse than Joe Biden. The next day, a bunch of media personalities asked him, hey, given that your campaign has been destroyed and you spent $935 million to get absolutely nothing, are you going to drop out? And he said, no, we're just getting started. Why would we drop out? And then the rest of the results came in and he announced he was dropping out. <laughs> I just, it's incredible because he literally spent almost a billion dollars to get nothing. Yeah, just one of the greatest political failures in human history. Yeah, I, I mean, especially when you take into account the amount of money. Like, there have mm -hmm. obviously been people who have had worse campaigns because no one even knows who they are. But when you invest that much into your campaign and get wrecked for it, essentially, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it doesn't... Like, I, I just checked on this. Um... $935 million is more than Barack Obama spent to get reelected in 2012, more than Mitt Romney spent to try and become president in 2012. It's more than both of those campaigns combined. And so how long was his campaign? So November 24th, 2019, he so announced like he was running months? for president. Suspended his campaign on March 4th. Yeah, two and a half months, give or take. Yes. Two and a half months, give or take spent more than uh, more than both campaigns together spent in 2012 
and got a single delegate from American Samoa. Yikes. It's, it's one of my favorite stories because he was just so wrong about what Democratic voters wanted. He spent a billion dollars to fail miserably. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think he didn't take into account what Democratic voters wanted. He took into account what his, like, Wall Street buddies wanted, which, right. to be fair, like, very powerful people, but ultimately not accounting <laughs> for that many votes. <laughs> right. And it also just goes to show, for the record, that um, it is not always the person who spends the most money who wins in politics. You also have to be, like, a good candidate. True. But anyway, um, I, I think that's about it for uh, How Did It Go So Wrong. Sorry Alex couldn't be here, but we got this great episode out of it. So, uh, you know, good, good talking to you, Garrett. As always. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have another uh, full episode next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.